Who's gone to a camp as a young person? Who has? Yeah, look, there's a lot of you who have. Um, I love camps. I, I love going to camps when I was young and my mum and dad let me go to some camps and I tell you what, they were fun and they were great and they were times where I could just be a kid who actually thinks without anybody else around me. Uh, I mean, other kids there, but, you know, I just got to think, where am I with Jesus? It was good um, in those wonderful Christian camps that I went to. I, wa- I wonder if you can remember going to your first camp ever. Uh, I, I can remember my first camps, and uh, I remember the instructions from my mother before going on that. Do you remember that? Remember getting instructions, you know, you're waiting at the bus with the other kids and your mum comes over to you and she gives you a whole list of, of stuff. I, I didn't, it, maybe that didn't happen to you. It happened to me. It happened to me. Uh, and at the time, it seemed to be a list a mile long. But it was probably only four or five things. You know, where did you put your spending money? Hey, Stephen, don't, don't forget to clean your teeth morning and night. And make sure you eat everything on your plate be thankful. Don't get sunburned, okay? You're at the beach. And always, always, this is the one that I heard most of all. I probably needed it. Please listen to your leaders. To an 11 or 12-year-old kid, uh, that's really annoying. But now I hear it and I know better. When I hear mums saying that to their kids, I hear that as dads, I, I hear that as love. My mum wanted me not to forget these instructions, especially listen to your leaders, especially that one, because she wanted me to be healthy. She wanted me to be safe. She wanted me to actually have a good time. She loved me. Now, uh, we're going to start today the last few weeks of this letter of 1 Thessalonians that we've been in for a number of months now. This is the home stretch today. And uh, we come to a section that's, you know, getting a, 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 we're getting a little bit of last-minute remarks. It's starting that off from what Paul sees himself as an, an anxious, loving parent of this congregation in Thessalonica. And so we're going to hear, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear these last-minute type of instructions. Live in peace, rejoice in the Lord, be thankful, be patient with each other. Listen to your leaders. Starts there today. Listen, listen to your leaders. Uh, I think Paul wants the church in Thessalonica to know the peace. He wants them to know the joy of who God saved them to be. Because it's a joyous life. He wants them to know that. He wants them to live in that. He, want, he loves them. And so he starts talking to them about his something I want to say first. It's to do with the relationship of the church to its leaders. And to begin this whole session, section, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to start at verse 12 today. I think the Paul is, is kind of saying something like this. The thesis of what he's saying is, uh, if we want to be a, a united church family in Christ, learn to love the Christ-like work of his leaders. And we're going to see a leadership model that is God's model today that is unlike models that we see around about us and it's, it's absolutely beautiful and I, I really want you to know that our passage today has this with, with also verse 14, we're only going to be in verse 12 and 13 today but particularly with verse 14 I urge you uh, brothers, uh, admonish the idle or the disorderly, uh, 
encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's verse 14. Uh, but these verses with for, verse 14, I want to tell you for, for over seven years, it's coming up to my eighth year in, in being a pastor in, in our church, and, and for all of that time, these verses have probably been my number one go-to to remind myself of who I am to be, of who I am to be as a leader in our church. And so I want to approach these with you this morning with an incredible amount of reverence before God and before you, my dear church family. Uh, so look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13 with me, and I want to tell you that these verses are for the, the sheep. Paul is addressing the church in Thessalonica as to how they look and deal with their leaders, but listen, it's for the whole church. It's not just for sheep, it's for shepherds. And so... Brothers in leadership, uh, I, I'm asking you please to look from the perspective of who we must be, who we must be. Let's quickly think of what brings us to these verses, because these, these verses come to us in the context of the whole letter, don't they? This is Paul's, probably his first ever, the Apostle Paul, his first ever uh, letter to a church, and Paul uh, had to abruptly leave this church that he came to. He gave the gospel. People believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He established a church, faithful group of believers, and they came under persecution from those around about them, and Paul had to leave abruptly. And he was, he was concerned for them after he left. You know, what sort of state is this church in? How are they going? And he sent Timothy back to them to see how they were going. And then Timothy returns back to Paul, reconvenes, probably in Corinth, and uh, he, he reconvenes with Paul and he gives them this report. And you see this in the first chapters, in chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, chapter 3 actually, and going and you see this report that they're faithful. They're doing good. In fact, they're doing a lot of things you don't have to tell them twice to do. And Paul even says that. I don't have to tell you this. I don't have to tell you this. Look at what you're doing. Uh, they're faithful. Their faithfulness actually, even in the midst of uh, op opposition around them, it's spreading and they're standing up under pressure and they're a, they're a good church. But they're not a perfect church. That's why I love this because that's kind of how I describe our church. That's how, kind of how I describe us. I, Thessalonians just reminds me so much of us because it, that, that's how I would describe us, brothers and sisters. It, we're a good church, not a perfect church. You know, we don't have all of our ducks in a row. Neither did they. And so Paul writes some correction to them as well. He, he gives them a little bit of correction and, and instruction that they need to consider. And we've just finished that whole a whole section of instruction and correction in uh, the last three sermons looking at that second coming passage and uh, Paul was trying to help them get a right understanding of the return of Jesus so they didn't grieve like the world grieves and don't fear like the world fears and don't live like the world lives. Once you understand Jesus' return in context of the gospel, our lives are different. And so... Paul gives some correction and helps them. And Paul does see himself as like a nursing mother that cares for the church, like a father that gives instruction to his children and he's writing to them. And now, he sounds to me a little bit like a loving mother and father sending their kid to a camp and giving some last instructions. I love you. I'm going to close off this letter before I do. Here is what I want you to hear. 
Here is what I want you to know. Look at verse 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. It's on the screen. And open your Bibles, have a look with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, that's all we're looking at today. It's so providential that we're looking at these verses today and we've got an annual general meeting after this service, isn't it? And we're talking about the leadership and our church and the workings of our church and here we are in these verses today. And one of the first instructions that I I want us to look at is is this. I, I think what Paul is saying in verse 12 is it's really good for the church to see leadership as a respectable labor, a respectable labor in the family of God. Uh, We start looking at verse 12, and we come to this statement, and it's clearly about leaders, isn't it? And and Paul's, notice he's not giving a command, he says, we ask you, we ask you, and so he's making a request, and that request comes to you like this, we ask you brothers. Now that's in the plural, brothers, he actually means brethren, and whenever you see that in the scriptures, it means both brothers and sisters. It's brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the congregation. I I ask you, church family, is basically what he's saying. Church family of of Thessalonica. I ask you. And and I want us to see this because we've seen it many times. If you read through the the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians and count how many times Paul says brothers and sisters in here, you might be a little bit astonished as to how much it really is. It's a lot. It's kind of like when I'm in sermons and I'm kind of addressing you because you're my church family, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who know Jesus as your saviour, and I'm saying a lot, aren't I? Brothers and sisters, look at this. Brothers and sisters, look at this. It's for a reason, because you're my family. I want you to hear that, because this is set in familial tones, family-type tones. That's the way that Paul speaks. So he's asking his family. And it's a loving plea. And he wants this church, it's, it's so beautiful to know that the beauty of what a close church family is, it's all those who are committed to their saviour, all of those who are part of the family of God by, by adoption through Jesus Christ, that's where this starts. And so when you come to Christ, when you are birthed, have a new spiritual birth into a new spiritual family, it displays all the love and care and characteristics of Christ and what God has for his church. Something, when people walk into this room and see the love of this family, they should see something different to what they see everywhere else. Now, I'm saying this because, please hear me, if you miss the familial, loving tones and sense in these verses before you even start. You miss every intention of Paul. what Paul wants. And if you miss this, you can turn these two verses into being very harsh verses if you want. And they're simply not. They are simply not. He's asking his brothers and sisters to consider something because he loves them and it has to do with the way that they relate to their leaders. Now, there are two words of actions to these, uh, these dear 
brothers and sisters in this church. One's in verse 12 and one is in verse 13. So he's asking them to do actually two things, two verbs. If you look at verse 12, you're going to see the verb respect. Respect those who labour among you and so on. And then in verse 13, you're going to see esteem, aren't you? So respect and esteem. They're the two things and they're the two ways that we're going to break up these verses this morning and have a look at them. And I want to start with this word respect that's in the ESV. It's translated as respect, uh, but I want to suggest to you, I am going to look at uh, how uh, the original language in the Greek is translated on a few words today. I don't normally do much of that in sermons, but I think it's important here, so I'm going to do it just a few times. Um, but firstly, this word that in, in the original language, the word oida, it's a uh, it's from that word, it's, it's a word to know, it's simply to know, or even to recognise. Now, it can be in the sense of uh, respect, Re- respect because you're re- recognising what someone is, is trying to do for you and, and you're respecting their ability to do that for you because it's for you. <laughs> right? When you work into um, a concert, you might go into a concert theatre and there are, are, are ushers and it's their job, their job description to turn their flashlights on and take you to your seat and show you where your seats are and sometimes we no no it's okay I'll just find it but if we actually respect what their job is they make our lives so much easier so recognize what they're doing so they're called to serve you they're they're in they're in a position where they're called to serve you so be ready to receive their ministry and uh, so Paul it makes sense that Paul is saying this to this Thessalonian church. He's just given them a number of instructions and corrections in this letter, just some instructions and corrections to help them, you know, be uh, the church that Jesus wants them to be. They receive this letter. Timothy comes back to them, gives them this letter. Timothy's not going to be there forever. And so it's important that they do that. Well, you know what their leaders are going to do? Their leaders are going to be responsible for taking Paul's instructions and helping them to embrace it and live it and apply it to their lives. That's what the leaders are going to do. So recognise what they're going to do. Because it's for you. They're going to encourage with it, correct with it, instruct with it. And Paul is saying, I think he's saying, you've heard what I've said, expect your leaders to help you personally apply this. You've heard it, help them to lead you with it. So who is he really talking about? What type of leaders? We can see that he is talking about leaders, but I want you to notice something in this text for a moment. Let's look at it really carefully. He doesn't use position titles, does he? You don't see it anywhere there. You see descriptions, but not titles. And there's a couple of reasons um, that I do think, though, that Paul is speaking about more specifically elders when he's talking about these things, there's, there's really uh, two reasons. Firstly, it makes sense in the fact that wherever Paul went, he established churches and put elders into place in those churches. Now, just think about this with me for a moment. Paul uh, in, is writing this letter. This is his second missionary journey. He's already done one. And even at the end of the first missionary journey, Luke in the, in the book of Acts described what Paul did when he went to all the churches with those who were with him. And, and listen to that in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. He says this, When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
That was even in the first missionary journey. So elders were appointed, elders were there appointed as the leaders. What I believe probably happened from those elders is that those elders then appointed deacons for that job that the deacons do, that we see uh, back in Acts 7. So uh, elders, they might not necessarily be specifically mentioned here, but I think they are described in the fact that Paul established them wherever he went, and, and the duties that we see here listed do apply to uh, the duties of an elder. Those who labour among you, there's three here in verse 12, those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord too and admonish you. So let's think about these more specifically, okay? Well, we know what labour is. I hope you know what labour is. I hope some of you actually do some labour. Uh, it's work, but it's not just work, it's hard work. It's, it's kind of toil. And it's a diligent toil. But what I want you to see about this diligent toil is it's not just diligent toil, period. It's that toil, that hard work that is done among you. The ground of the work of the leaders in the church is the fellowship of the church. That's the ground, and it's among the fellowship of the church. It's not to, it's not from a distance, it's among them. The ground of the work is among you. You, brothers and sisters, are the field of the work for the elders in this church. You are that field. They don't labour from a boardroom. They labour among you, is what Paul is saying. You. I want to concentrate on these other words. We'll come back to that. Uh, they are over you is how the ESV translates that. It's not wrong, but often when we hear something put that way, it's easy to think that uh, when somebody is over us, it's like an ogre, right? They're over us, dictating like superiority is, is something that might come to our mind, and that is the furthest thing that Paul means in this. They're not above us positionally in that way. That's, that's not a sense of, there's no sense of what Paul's doing um, that Paul's doing anything like that here in this text. I'm going to prove it more late, later. It's, it's not over you as ruling or dictating subordinates. It's care over you. It's care over you. It's leading in care over you, uh, in the field of labour among you. And so it's leading, it's managing, it's care. Now, I, 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 there's a great example of this as it pertains to elders. Actually, we often see it described... Uh, in a way that we would describe it, we would describe it as like shepherding in our church, wouldn't we? They're shepherding, they're caring over us, like a shepherd cares over his sheep. In the qualifications of elders, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you know there's this list of qualifications. If this man is to be an elder in the church, this is the list of things that he needs to have. One of them, one of those qualifications is that he must manage or lead or be over his family well. He must do it well. So to be over well, it's not just to be over as far as positionally. How do you do that well? You just, that's just a position. It's to care over well. It's to manage well. It's to lead well, isn't it? And so Paul is saying in 1 Timothy, it, that's the same word as we see here in Thessalonians. It, he's, this guy's going to show that he cares for the flock of God and he can do it because we've already seen that he cares well for his family. That's the word that we're talking about. He cares for souls. He manages and leads the church spiritually. 
That, that's why it's, it's so important not to read this with, without this qualifier. Look at it. It's not just over you. It's over you in the Lord. Do you see that? Really important that we see that. What does it mean for a leader to care over you in the Lord? Every aspect of their leading and care will be motivated by Christ. By who Christ is, by what he's done for us, by what he tells us to do, by his expectations, by his love, by his nature, by his character. It'll be, that's how it's going to be categorized. It's going to come from someone attempting, at least attempting to reflect Christ with the motivation of pleasing Christ. It will come with a care for your soul in Christ, con- concerned for your strength of faith in Christ, your life and obedience to Christ. And it's going to be a leadership that reflects Christ. Our desire for you will be a desire for you in Christ, for your lives in Christ. And the way it's implemented, this implementation of care is going to reflect the nature of who Jesus is, who we want to be like. We're going to care over you in the Lord. Right now, I just kind of want to stop and ask for your forgiveness wherever you've seen that it's not like that. We do want to be like that. We want to be like Jesus. And it's this type of leadership that we can say with Paul, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. If you see me not following Christ, don't follow me. Come and talk to me about it. Because we want to know. Then, then there's this word admonish. Look at this word admonish. We don't often use the word admonish. It doesn't come out in our normal conversation, doesn't it? That, that word admonish, admonish very much. Sometimes in Christian circles it does because it's kind of a Christianese word. But we don't often use it. We, we might use words like correct or instruct or teach. That sort of those sorts of words, and, and every one of those words can have that sense of that word. The word in the original language in the Greek is the word nutheo. Now, some of you are aware of that word who do biblical counselling, because some of you remember a day when what we call biblical counselling today, you know, biblical counselling when we open the Bible and help people with their problems through the word of God, through the incredible wisdom and light and truth and grace that is in the word of God. Now, that used to be called nuthetic counselling. And the reason, it, from this word nutheo, admonish, and the, and the reason is, is because it is a counselling process that's not just some talk therapy that really ends up going nowhere, but it directs, it instructs, it corrects, it trains, it teaches so that people might deal with real problems in their lives. And so it's a ministry of admonition. That's a counselling ministry. Now, I want to just stop on this word for a little bit. I'm going to do a series on counselling in a few weeks' time for our church. But I want to just stop here and see this for a moment. Because a ministry of admonition is a counselling ministry. I really want to show you, just bear with me, I'm going to show you three or so verses that help us to see this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 
Help us to understand the nature of this word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. There's that word, Nitheo. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, admonishing, notice that it's right next to teaching. That's where it's partnered with. So the word of God would dwell in your hearts richly in all wisdom. Now, part of that ministry here might even come through song which is why we're really careful about the songs we pick in this church to be biblical, biblically accurate, Christ-centered, so they're actually giving us wisdom that we can follow and sing about and grab onto with our hearts. But it's a teaching ministry. It's a teaching ministry, teaching uh, and admonition, partnered together because that's the sense of admonition here in this situation. Then Romans chapter 15, verse 14 Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, that's Jesus' goodness, by the way, and his truth, not our own, filled with all knowledge, Jesus' knowledge, by the way, the word of God, not our own, and able to instruct one another. That word instruct, nutheo. It's an instruction. It's a very verbal word when you're instructing people like this. Okay, it's very verbally done, isn't it? And so it's a verbal ministry of instruction and teaching uh, through God's word, through the truth of God's word and only God's word so that you can come along somebody, come along somebody in another brother or sister in their life and, and help them in their growth in, in the Lord Jesus. Can you please notice that in the last two verses that I used, it says, do this with one another. It is not just the elders who do this. Now, it's the elders who lead in this. And as we lead in this, we pray that you would also do it because counselling ministry is not just a ministry for pastors and elders. It's a ministry for all Christians with each other. And it really should be done. I am so thankful that there are some people who are taking it extra seriously in our church and, and really trying to learn how to do this in special ways with, with people in our church. So glad for that. You know who you are. And then I'm just really glad that so often it just happens informally in your conversations with each other, that you're encouraging from the word of God and, and you're really counselling each other in informal circumstances all the time. Praise God. It's a one another thing. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15. Do not regard him, this is a brother that is in sin or a sister that's in sin, do not regard him as an enemy but warn him, warn Nuseo there, warn him as a brother. And, and Paul is saying that if someone is not living in obedience to Christ, then to warn or to admonition Nuseo him, it has this aspect of warning and correction about it, doesn't it? There's correction. We actually correct. We don't just listen. We don't just converse. And it's not us correcting, but it's with the truth of the word of God that that is happening. So we might all help each other to live for Christ. We need each other this way, don't we? We need each other this way. But don't, don't just look at the word warn there as just saying, oh yes, it's a correcting ministry too. Can you always look when Paul writes one of these things, can you always look at the how? It's just as important as the what. How? As a brother. Do you see that there? Don't, don't, don't skip over that. As a brother, when one of us need correction, we come as family. We come in love. 
So when Paul describes leaders as those who admonish, we don't see an ogre with an angry pointed finger. We see a brother with a deep concern for someone's soul in love. Isn't that beautiful? It's how we are to be. In fact, I love the way now, if you know who Dr. J. Adams is, many of you do. He's one of the primary founders of the modern biblical counselling movement. And uh, he went to be with the Lord just a couple of years ago. But um, Dr. Adams said this about this word nutheo in, in the context of, uh, of counselling. He said, the goal of our authoritative instruction is love. The purpose of preaching and counselling is to foster love toward God and love toward one's neighbour, which God commands. Jesus summed up the keeping of the whole law as love. Any notion of authority as antithetical to love is inconsistent with Scripture. Oh, let me say that again, please. Any notion of authority that is antithetical to love is inconsistent with Scripture. Thanks, Dr. Adams. I think that's absolutely perfectly true. Now, that's the recognition of the work among you from leaders. And as we go into verse 13, Paul makes a very intentional statement about that. So Paul has said, hey, see leadership as a respectable labour. Here's the labour. I'm describing the labour. See it as a respectable labour, please. Recognise that it's there for you. Recognise what it's for. See it, know it. Respect it. Uh, as we go into verse 13, if you're someone who has ever been mistreated by a leader, even in a church, the sad reality is that we all still live in a sinful world while we're here. The church can still be messy. We are not perfect until the day that Jesus perfects us. And the church is not immune in this world to temptation and, and sin and even hurting others. And it's sad when that happens and it's not what Jesus wants and it's certainly when that happens we're walking away from the word of God. We're walking away from what Christ tells us that there definitely are circumstances and instances of church leadership gone horribly wrong. It doesn't take us long to find them. Go on the internet, you'll see a million. And I think we just need to own that truth. We need to own it. That it's part of the, just the wider church in general. And even if it's not part of us, let us not be complacent about this. I'm asking you today to see with me that it only happens when we do not properly understand and apply the truth of God's word in Christ. Now, it's not that we don't have clarity. That's what I'm trying to say. We do have clarity. God's word for how leaders are to act and how leadership in the church is to be organized for the sake of the body of Christ. So let's look at this second request from Paul to the church in verse 13 about how the church relates to its leaders. It's this esteem godly leadership because of the work he has called them to. Esteem godly leadership because of the work he has called them to. Let me read from verse 12 again into verse 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect 
those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, I'm standing in front of you as a leader today saying these things in our church and and I, as a leader in our church, I, I want to prove to you from these verses today that no leader can and should ever stand in front of you and say, you need to respect and esteem me simply because I hold a position as elder. Please hear that. That's not to be found anywhere in this text. Look carefully at verses 12 and 13. The position is not even mentioned in the text. That's not Paul's main point here. Not once is it mentioned. There's not even the word elder here. Look look at what is mentioned, the work of the elders. Look at verse 12, what our leaders are respected for. Labour among you. Care over the flock in the Lord and godly counsel, instruction, teaching, correction, admonishing. And then look carefully at verse 13 as to why you should esteem leaders very highly in love. And what I want you to see in both of these verses is that it is not because of their position. It's not just, it's not position. This is not about position. Let's leave that to the world. It's because of their work. It's because what they've been called to. That esteem comes in what God has given them to do. It's from God. Why? Why? Because that work is so important. It's for the love of the church and your God's family. Please let's understand what the church is, brothers and sisters. What is it? It's the family of God. The true definition of the church are those who have been forgiven of their sin because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid for our sin when we had ignored the God of the universe and turned our backs on God who created us, Jesus came and paid for our sin. Rose from the dead in victory over death and sin and hell. And and for those who repent, turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, we are forgiven, we are reconciled with God, we're adopted into his family. That's the church. We're given new life. That's the church. A regenerate person in the Lord Jesus. And those who all, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have new lives in Christ, have an eternal future with Christ, a glory together with Christ. And the work of the leaders in the church is to how it's all about helping that family. It's what God has given to that family. To grow and, and love Christ, to obey him, to live for him, to become more like him, to seek to show him to a lost world. And let me tell you what I see as kind of my number one priority as an elder in our church. It's, it's this. It's helping every person in our church to prepare for the day that they will stand before Jesus face to face. And to plead with those who don't know Jesus that the only way to prepare for that day is to put your faith in Jesus. That's all of our work. Please hear me. It's a work that the elders lead in that then permeates All its way through the church, we all serve and lead and care and counsel each other in that way, don't we? Please hear me, brothers and sisters. This is 
why the whole work of the leaders of the church, it can never, never in these verses be separated from the familial nature of what Paul is asking us to do. The familial nature that we see in the whole letter, actually. And he asks us as brothers and sisters not to simply esteem leaders, period. Verse 13, he says to highly esteem them in love because of their work. Esteem them as brothers and sisters in the love of Christ because of the calling of the work that they do in Christ, imitating the beautiful sacrificial love of Christ because of their work, not because of their title. Because they're calling to Christ to labor among God's family. It's not a calling to stand, just, just stand in a pulpit. It's not to dictate, it's not to organise themselves like an organisational board steering a big ship, right? That they are a personally involved group of men in the lives of sheep as they individually labour among the sheep and care for the sheep and have a ministry among the sheep in teaching, instruction, correction, in love. Among you. Among you. And it can be esteemed highly in love because it's actually a labor among God's family done in the Lord in the way that it reflects Jesus. The reality, brothers and sisters, is that the reality is that I do think the church generally in the modern church, I'm not just, I'm talking very generally here, okay, making a generalization. Um, I think there's a problem that has crept into the modern church today that we need to be really careful about. Now, you know I love the church, right? Love God's family. Love. Greatly. And I've just said not long ago that the church is not immune to sin, so we can all be a bit messy. But I do want us to say this carefully because we can at least identify the problem that we need to be aware of and attempt to consciously be aware of it for ourselves so that we don't become complacent about this and make correction where we need to make it. In the modern organisational mindset influenced by efficiency structures, church growth strategies, those sorts of things that come out, churches have often talked about having their own models. This is our model. It's this type of model, and they can name the model. We've got this model, we've got this model, we've got this model. This is how we do things here. And so we can talk about, we can hear people talking about what, believe, what they believe works for them. When it's communicated, it's, it's stated as, this is the way we do things here, this is our model, this is what works for us. The danger is that the church can start existing to serve the model of leadership rather than the leadership serving the church. You know how Jesus showed the work of his leadership among us? Just listen to the words from Jesus written in Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The leadership of the church is supposed to reflect that type of work. And if we know that there is a leadership that's at least attempting to reflect the infinite perfection of Jesus, 
his humble sacrificial love, surely that work is something we can all highly esteem. I'm not just talking sheep, I'm talking shepherds highly esteem that work. All of us. There's not one ounce of positional authority of title in this text. It's just not there. As if it's the ruler over the subordinate. It's just not there. It's all esteem and love for the calling of God as a gift to his beloved children. To be used by God that way as a leader is nothing more than an immense and glorious privilege. Brothers and sisters, it's why I kind of want to look you in the eye right now and uh, I truly don't even want, let alone go even close to demanding your respect and recognition of title or position for me ever. Ever. Esteem the calling in love. Please love the one fulfilling it as your brother. As your brother. We, we, we have these names in the, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, right? Shepherd or pastor and, and elder. And, and sometimes we talk about all of our elders together or elders and pastors together. Sometimes you call me Pastor Steve and we have a pastor and elders, but we're all pastors, by the way. They're synonymous terms. We're all pastors. Those who are elders are pastors. Those who are pastors are elders. We're all that. Uh, I think sometimes that we do it that way in our churches because what we're saying is uh, we, we kind of use this word pastor because this guy is the, the guy who's given over to full-time study of the word for teaching and, and, and those sorts of things. But listen, hear me, please hear me. They're, they're synonymous. They're synonymous terms. I, I want you to hear something. I don't need you to call me Pastor Steve. I haven't actually ever said that. I don't need it. I'm your brother. I don't need it. None of us need it. None of, none of, none of the elders need it. I don't need your recognition of title. Now, mums and dads might want to say to their kids to do something out of respect for older people. That's fine. That's, it, it, that's okay. That's up to you. I'm just saying I don't need it. I'm your brother. All the elders are. It's our enormous privilege to love and serve you as elders who want to point you to Jesus and help you to prepare to meet him face to face. Esteem that work. And you know what? I've been told by people... Joe, Jeremy particularly probably acknowledge this. Uh, pastoring is a thankless job. You ever been told that? Pastoring is a thankless job. Fooey. What rubbish. Look, you guys thank me more often than I need. Um, if you ask me if I feel the esteem for my, from my brothers and sisters for the work of our elders in this church, the answer is an overwhelming yes without any hesitation. But, but here's a fact, the unity and peace and joy experienced in this church family because it's, it's experienced because we firstly love Jesus together 
And secondly, it's because there's a commitment to be led toward Jesus. Do you want that? To be led toward Jesus? Do you want that? Please, please keep responding well to that leading. Look at what Paul can then say. Look at these last words in verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, in, in the context of the letter to Thessalonians, I think it's kind of like Paul saying, hey, and particularly in these verses, you have leaders that are going to point you and lead you to Jesus, brothers and sisters. They're going to help you to apply all of these things that I've, I've given you so that you can live lives for Christ. Work with them. Work with them. Let them do their job. If you all walk that direction together, there will be peace. And you know why you need it? I mean, this Thessalonian church needs peace among themselves. Do you know why? Because all surrounding them outside this church is opposition. Don't we need peace when there's that? There's no difference between that church and us church, our, our church today. 2,000 years of technology and other things, but that's, that's it. It's all the same. So in the next couple of weeks, as Paul starts giving us these final instructions... Let's start here. Let's please keep being a church family that responds well to the call to follow Jesus. Please let's be those who are willing to esteem anything that leads us to Jesus. Please be willing to be taught from his word. Be willing to be instructed for your soul. Be willing to be corrected for becoming more like Jesus. Be willing to welcome those who are caring for your soul. Please welcome us. If, if, we, if we lead you in this way, it's because we love you. And that's, brothers and sisters... That's not how the world leads. It's not about worldly power and position, okay? That's, that's the world. Let's leave that to the world. We're not like the world. Authority is never demanded by your leaders or should never be demanded by your leader. And, and, and let me say this. If, if an elder in our church ever stands in front of you and says, you must respect us and esteem us simply because of our position or title of elder, then you have my total permission to go get a recording of this sermon and say, can you listen to it? If I need to be reminded of it, let, give it to me so I can speak more to myself, preach to myself. I want to say this in closing. Thank you. Can I say this on behalf of my brother elders? Thank you for the opportunity of serving this family. As we walk as a whole family of brothers and sisters toward Christ. There is nothing more important to your elders than that you know and love Jesus and prepare to meet him, whether by death or whether by his coming back, that you are prepared for that day. Nothing more important to us than that. If we want to be a united church family in Christ, learn to love the Christ-like work of his leaders. Let's pray.